Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the brook. And uh, for those of uh, you who have been with us for a while, you know that I am not Pastor Mucci, right? Uh, Pastor Mucci is, uh, is on sabbatical. We continue to pray for him and his family over these course of the next few weeks. And uh, continue to pray for the work of the church. Um, if you're new here, uh, you may not know that we've been uh, talking and preaching about the book of Colossians over the past several weeks, and that's where we're going to end up today as well. Uh, Colossians chapter 2, in some texts that I find to be super important to our life and to our Christian walk. It's an exciting thing to be a Christian, although um, it, it's kind of gotten, it's been kind of difficult some days to be a Christian, because sometimes Christian it seems like it's a cultural word, uh, identifying with a cultural group, and not a spiritual word, identifying with a spiritual group. And you, you may know the difference if you observe the world around us, that not everyone who uses the word Christian would identify with the teachings of Jesus or the teachings of the gospel or the teachings of the Bible. So it's kind of a loose word that doesn't quite mean as much as it used to. In any case, that really should push us to understanding the word better so that we make sure that we are truly walking with God. Now, we notice in Colossians chapter 2 and verse 6, a passage that we uh, was talked about a couple of weeks ago, that basically what's going on is Paul is addressing us and he is telling us that we need to walk with Jesus. The Christian life is a journey, and we need to walk with Jesus. Last week, we talked about verse uh, 8 specifically, and verse 9, as uh, well as verse 10, which talks about the warning uh, that comes to us as we walk to make sure that we're not distracted by the world and its philosophies and its way of doing things, to make sure that our eyes are always on Christ. Now, as I was thinking about this message and where we are in our world today, as we get to verses 11 and uh, all the way down to verse 14 today, it struck me that one of the issues that we deal with in contemporary culture is the idea that our Christian faith is a compartment of our life. don't know how much time it represents. For some people, it represents a big compartment. For some people, it represents maybe an hour commitment or however long the sermon goes. That's how long the commitment is. And by that time we hit the door, the commitment's over and we're on to, quote, real life. Uh, some people uh, try to bring Christ to work and so forth and to the family, uh, but so many others just kind of compartmentalize Christianity, and they're not very much Christians at work. And even with family, they're not very much Christians. You know, they're Christians for an hour or so on a Sunday, and that's about it. That compartmentalization is a, an effect of a bunch of different forces in the life, and it needs, we need to get away from it. We need to, to move away from it. My family and I were reminded uh, on Friday of the power of a life that was lived uh, walking with God. We were at the funeral, the memorial service, of a fellow who passed away in uh, the Surfside condominium uh, tragedy last month. They uh, found, his, found his body, his remains, and they had a funeral for him this past Friday at, uh, at Christ Fellowship Church. And my, my family and I were there, and we, we 
just a couple of observations that came to me because we happen to know his family. His, his wife was a student of, of my wife in the counseling program at, at Trinity, and, and we knew Edgar, the fellow who passed away because of, uh, he, he was a lawyer, and he helped, was helping us with a legal matter. And I had the opportunity to talk to him just maybe 36 hours before the condominium collapse. He was helping us on a legal issue, and he, he was a kind of a lawyer who would say something like this to us. He said, he would say, you know, you know I've been praying about it. I'm, look, I've been praying about the case. I've been praying about this issue. I've been seeking God's wisdom, and God showed this to me as I was thinking about your case. And, and not, I've dealt with lawyers before, and that's not often how they sound. Uh, he brought his faith with him uh, to every area of his life. And at the memorial service, it was pointed out time and time again by people he worked with, by people he went to church with, by people uh, who knew him from the time he was very young, that he was a person who took his faith very seriously and his walk with the Lord in every area of his life. And it seems to me that one day, when it comes our time to meet our maker, that we, that we would, should want it to be said of us that we took our faith seriously and that we walked with God every step of the way. And that it doesn't mean that we're perfect or sinless or some kind of super saint, but it means that even as we walk and stumble and sometimes get distracted and go the wrong way for a little bit, that no matter what, that we, that we walked with God. Don't you want it to be said of you when it comes to that time, when you meet your maker, when you are standing in the presence of God, that it be said of you that indeed you were a person who trusted God, that you were a person whose faith was real, that what you said and what you did actually, actually were, were the same thing. Uh, that, that's my goal, right? That's what should be our goal in life. And as we read this text over today, we get a sense of what it means to make sure that Jesus is not simply a part or a compartment of our life, but that Jesus is at the center of our life and that we walk with him every step of the way. Um, as I read over this passage, as, uh, I and you look at your Bibles, and I trust you have your Bibles with you or your Bible app, and you're able to, to jot notes or to mark if, if possible, because there's a phrase that's repeated over and over again in these few verses that were read this morning, starting in verse 6, that says, as you received Christ Jesus the Lord, so walk in him. Our journey is with the Lord. We walk with the Lord. He is with us. Now go down to verse 9. For in him, Jesus, the whole fullness of deity dwells bodily. And you have been filled, how? In him, who is the head of all rule and authority. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised with the circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the power, work, powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside nailing it to the cross. I, uh, at home, I printed up the text and I, and I highlighted, and I don't know if you can see it from a distance, but I highlighted all the times it said, in him or with him. Because this is not simply a theology lecture today. It's not simply some kind of pie in the sky, uh, ivory palaces kind of talk. 
This is a talk that's real because it's our life and it's our journey and it's our walk with God. And it's, it's the most important thing for me today as we talk about the, what it means to have this newness of life. That you understand that you are not doing this on your own. You are not taking up a sort of a self-help thing. And you know, you're starting some new habits. You're starting a new approach to life. This is God working within you every step of the way. And if Christians could just simply get a hold of that, our lives could be very drastically different. Because what happens is so often, is that people come to faith in Christ or, or they say, you know what, you're religious, it seems to be working for you, so I'm going to try to be religious too. So I'll attend a few services, I'll read a few books, I'll say a few prayers, I'll give a few dollars, I'll try to help some people. And people, some of the most miserable people in the world are people who try to be Christians by doing it on their own. Because they don't have the spirit, they don't have, the, they don't have God walking with them every step of the way. For the true child of God, for the true uh, believer in Jesus, they know that even though we may stumble, we may fall, we may wander away for a little bit, we're, or we may be distracted, all of those things that come our way, we know, we know that God is with us. He will never leave us nor forsake us. So it's absolutely the, the truth that when we walk with God, God walks with us. He empowers us and he leads us in this newness of life. So Paul gives us three pictures in verses 11 and then uh, 12 all the way to verse 14. Three different pictures of the newness of life. The first picture is the picture of circumcision. Verse 11. In him also you were circumcised. With a circumcision made without hands, by putting off the body of the flesh, by the circumcision of Christ. What is Paul talking about? Well, if I were to underline words, if I were to point out a phrase that I thought was important from this particular verse, it is the phrase, made without hands. Because what if for those of you who have read your Bible and you've, you've heard the talk about in the Old Testament about circumcision, you know that circumcision was a very big deal. It was a sign of the covenant that was given to Abraham and his, and his sons that they would be, have this mark on them for, forever. And that was, the, that, was the, that was the sign, the circumcision. Interesting, and to me amazingly, as Moses is writing the first five books of the Bible, and he's jotting things down, and he's giving God's messages to the children of Israel, when he gets to the book of Deuteronomy, and Moses' last words are the book of Deuteronomy, he says in Deuteronomy chapter 10, I wish you circumcise your heart. Because immediately what happens is, is that if it's simply a physical act, if it's simply a physical ritual, that means anybody can do it and it may not have the meaning in it that other people would have, you know, that's, that's real or true. And so what's important about the phrase made without hands is that Paul is talking about people coming to faith in Jesus that God is the one actually doing it. In other words, in spiritual worlds, words, he is circumcising our heart. He is taking a heart that was, that was dead or, and against God and walking in rebellion to God and he is taking that heart and he is making it a heart of flesh and he's making it a heart that's malleable. He's making a heart that he can write his words on. He's making a heart that can change us. The power of circumcision. The power of Jesus' work in our lives. 
You see back, in, you know, when you get to the New Testament, you get to the book of Acts, one of the very first debates the church ever had was what do we do what do we do with these people who are Gentiles, who are not circumcised, physically circumcised? As should, should we force them to be uh, circumcised so we allow them into the church? And if you read Acts closely, the answer is absolutely we're not going to force that issue. And Paul the Apostle said, I am not going to force that issue. That is, not, that is not the important circumcision. The important circumcision is the circumcision of the heart. This circumcision at the end of verse 11, this is called the circumcision of Christ. So when you came to faith in Christ, it, you, this was a new beginning, the circumcision of, of your hearts. And please know that this is always, always, always God's work. It's God who's working in you. It's God who is doing these things. And so in the midst of our journey in life, when we get tired and we get worn out and when spiritual oppression and depression comes our way and we're not sure what to do and we're not sure which way to turn, God speaks to us and he says, I am with you. I will never leave you and never forsake you. That's picture number one. Picture number two is familiar to us because we just had baptisms a few weeks ago. It's a start, and it really what it is, is Paul is, is taking circumcision in verse 11, and then he's adding to it in the sense of describing it further in verse 12. And you'll notice that Paul does not like to use periods when he writes sentences. He uses commas. He writes these incredibly run-on sentences, which are, you know, really just take some time to digest and, and to kind of mold them over in our head. So he says, by the circumcision of Christ, in verse 11, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through faith in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. Baptism, physical baptism, what we did a couple of weeks ago here at church, is a physical representation of what happens in a believer's heart when they come to faith in Christ. It is, we are buried in death, being submerged, right, immersed in the water, and then we arise in the newness of life. And we know that it's not simply a physical activity, it's a spiritual activity, and it comes and it happens to you the moment that you become a believer in Jesus, that you were dead in trespasses and sins, but now you are raised up with him in the newness of life. You know, sometimes as, as you get older, the idea of newness of life seems kind of strange and distant. But you know what? Maybe you've been a Christian for many, many years, but it's always so important to revisit the first principles. It's always important to know that you, even if you've been a Christian many, many years, are still walking in newness of life that God has given to you by the work of Jesus Christ for you. In our journey, the temptation is to think we're doing it on our own. The temptation is to think that we're doing it alone, uh, that, that it's all because of us. And sometimes it's so frustrating and it gets us upset because we know we don't have the strength to continue on to, to do it. But this picture of baptism tells us that we have newness of life and we are raised together with him in the powerful working of God, at the end of verse 12, who raised him from the dead. It's a matter of life and matter of death. 
spiritual life, spiritual death, spiritual life, newness of life, walking with the Lord. Uh, Paul spends a lot of time in the book of Romans and Romans chapter 6 discussing this idea of our baptism in Jesus. He says in Romans 6 verse 3, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried and therefore with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. Now these are first principles, my friends. These are first principles of the Christian faith. We need to know that we have newness of life because we are united with Christ, because he is in us and he is with us and he is for us. And now we see and we look and we, everything is different. It's different. He says that we know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life he lives, he lives to God. So now you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. In other words, God has given you, follower of Jesus, dear child of God, he's given you the ability to have the newness of life, the ability to walk with him, the ability to make sure that every compartment, every phase of your life is saturated with the fullness of God himself because you are united with Jesus. Now that's both esoterical talk, but it's also very practical talk because we find ourselves being discouraged, we find ourselves giving up, we find ourselves wandering away, we find all of those different things going on at any given day of our life, but we need to be reminded of these first principles so that indeed, so that indeed we can be true, true, true followers of Jesus. There's one last picture I want to share with you, and it's found in Colossians 2, verses 13 and 14. He says, You who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, meaning, meaning you were not walking with God, you were far from God, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses. So he goes from circumcision to baptism, and now the third picture is this picture of the forgiveness of all our trespasses. Now, I want you, if you, if you underline, if you star, if you highlight things, how many of our trespasses are forgiven? If you're a believer in Jesus, just a few, a little bit. What was it? All, right? Oh, every one of them. Sins in the past, sins in the present, sins even in the future, forgiven by God because of the work of Jesus Christ. And then he does this, this awesome verse. Verse 14. By canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. There are those in the body of Christ who want to serve God, who want to walk with God, who want to, who want to be a part of, of the community. But what they hear is, people don't know what a wicked sinner you are. What they hear in their head is, you know what, those, those other people serving God, they're a lot more holy than, than you are. People hear those voices, and those voices are the voice of the evil one. The voice of the evil one says we can't serve God. The voice of the evil one says that our sins aren't forgiven. It's, do you think God for a second reminds us of our sin? 
God doesn't remind us of our sin. God forgets our sin. He took this list. He took it and he nailed it to the cross. It is finished. And if that sin comes back in your face and that sin tries to grab a hold of you, if that sin tries to, to take your Christian walk and crash it into the ground, God says it is over. It is done. That sin has no more power over you. This is not to say that somehow we reach some kind of perfection. <laughs> All you have to talk to is like two people who know me and they will tell you how imperfect I am, right? And it would probably, I don't know how many people we'd have to talk to to find out how imperfect you are, maybe a dozen or so, before we found out that you were not perfect. The thought is this. This is not talking about perfection. It's talking about forgiveness. It's talking about how God forgives us in our imperfection. We as a Christian are not trying to pretend how perfect we are to the world. That, would, that lasts for about five minutes because we're not perfect. We are, what we do is when we mess up, when we go wrong, when, we, when, 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 our, when our hearts stray from God, we go, we, the Spirit speaks to us and we confess our sins and He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So every, every commentary I checked, every theologian I, I checked on these verses talked about verse 14 as this great IOU. We, we, we owe, we owe, we owe, we owe. There's a record of debt against us, and God wipes it out. He wipes it out through the price that Jesus paid on the cross. It has no more authority over us. It is done. The great uh, theologian and church father, Irenaeus, if you don't know Irenaeus, uh, Google him. He's, he is a, a fighter for the faith in the early history of the church. He is quoted as saying this, By a second tree, the effects of the first tree are canceled. That tree in the Garden of Eden, that tree that got Adam and Eve into so much trouble, that, e that, tree, that action which lives with us even to this day, that has been revoked and canceled because of the second tree, the tree that Jesus nailed our sins to the cross on. You know the song, When Peace Like a River Attendeth My Way, right? That one? One of the verses is this, and some, one of the commentators pointed it out, and I thought, oh my goodness, I remember this. Maybe you don't know it, but it's really worth, it's worthwhile. My sin, oh, the bliss of this glorious thought. My sin, not in part, but the whole, is nailed to the cross, and I bear it no more. Praise the Lord, praise the Lord Oh, my soul. These three pictures, they talk about the beginning of the Christian life, but they also talk about our day-to-day -day walk, and they talk about how our lives need to be impacted every day by this understanding that we're in Christ, that we're with Christ, that he is with us, that we are new creatures, that we are following him, that we are walking with him, that our sins are forgiven, all of those things. And I say, as we close the sermon out today, is there, is, there something in, is there something in this text 
that it's actually asking us to do. It's really a description of who we are. And as I was reading through the text, and I was asking, I was thinking to myself, what is this text asking us to do? Notice in verse 12, and and just the last word to circle, right? Uh, It's this. In which you were also raised with him, how? Through faith in the powerful working of God, who raised Jesus from the dead. What this text and what the message of the Holy Bible is for for those who have not read it is this, have faith in God. You know, that's easier said than done sometimes. Some of us are not trusting people. Some of us have been scammed. Some of us have been ripped off. Some of us have been betrayed. Some of, us, some, some of us have put faith in, quote, religious people who have let us down severely. And our faith, you know, you hear a sermon like this and you say, you know, you know, Neil, what you're saying is true, but I'm going to walk with God at a distance because I know some people who, you know, pretend to walk with God and they've hurt me and I don't want any part of that. I hear you. I do. I, I, I hear you, and I could, I could give you a list myself of people who pretended to be religious who were not. People who made false promises that they could never keep. People who offered you know, the world, and, and, you know, and, and all of a sudden they, were, they disappeared. The, the world is filled with charlatans and false teachers and, and people who are scam artists. They are fakes, they are phonies, they are frauds. God is asking us to have faith in him. Humans will let us down. Even well-meaning humans will let us down. God will never let you down. God never makes a promise to you that he will not keep. God doesn't promise you something one day and then walk away from it the next. Oh, you know what? I, I looked and I, you know, we can't do that thing we said. No, God doesn't talk like that. God doesn't act like that. God is the one who has the power to take the dead and to raise them up. That's what makes a funeral for a believer not simply a time of sorrow and grief over loss, but it's also a time of hope because we know the one who can raise the dead. He is God, and he is asking us to have faith in him. I tell you, I have faith when I have control. (laughs) True confession, right? I like to have control. It does, may not look like it. I may look kind of pa- passive, right? But I'm not. I'm a control guy. And I want stuff to be in line. I want stuff to be in order. I want, I want, the, details, I want the details to be such a way. And I know that all, the human problem is that we all want control. That's why we don't get along sometimes. But the reality is this. The reality is this. We need to look past all of the, those issues. We need to look past our issue with control. We need to look at the details of life. And we need to come to faith in God in a way that says, I'm going to believe you no matter what. You know, I was thinking about this morning, and I thought to myself, you know, tomorrow, is tomorrow guaranteed to us? It absolutely is not guaranteed to us. We have no guarantee for tomorrow. You know what's guaranteed about tomorrow for us? That God will be there. That's it. That's all we have. You know, people lose fortunes overnight, people lose family overnight, people lose friends overnight, people lose jobs overnight, people lose everything overnight, but you know who's going to be there tomorrow if all of those horrible, horrible things happen? God's going to be there. 
Imagine your worst case scenario in life that you lose a dear loved one or you lose a dear friend or you lose a great job or you lose this, or you lose that. Some horrible loss in your life and you can imagine how you would feel in that. Maybe you've gone through that already and it's awful, it's horrible. It's the worst experience. But then in the middle of it, in the middle of it, you have to remind yourself that God is going to be there with you. God is going to walk with you and he simply asks us to have faith in him. Have faith. I'm not saying it's easy, but I'm saying it's important. And I'm saying that you need to look back past the failings of humans and look to the God who can raise the dead. He is the one that we have faith in. It's the hardest thing in the world. And I've, I've you know, being at a funeral and, and, and in my job as a chaplain, I deal with families. I've dealt with families over the years who were losing loved ones. And you know, if your loved one is sick, you take them to the doctor, you get the surgery, you get the treatment, you go, you do the therapies, you do everything that, that the, the system asks you to do. You, you, you line up the insurances and you get the rehab and you do everything you do. You walk with your loved one every step of the way. And then it comes to that point, the point that we're all going to come to one day when we have to face our maker, when we're at the end of our earthly time on earth. And, and, the, question, and the question is, do we have the faith to trust our loved one to the Lord? And so you take that kind of end-of-life thinking and you apply it to today. You apply it to, do I have, do I have the faith, to, do I have the faith to, to say, Lord, here, here are my kids. <laughs> Teenagers, they scared the daylights out of me. They're, 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 your, they're my kids you've given to me, Lord, but they're your kids. I trust you. The circumstances are not sure tomorrow. I don't know what's going to happen. I don't know how the meeting's going to turn out. I don't know what news I'm going to get. But God, in the middle of it, I'm going to trust you. Because God is always trustworthy. God never lets us down. Uh, We walk in newness of life. And, and you know, faith isn't something, you know, faith isn't something that happened 20 years ago when you came to know the Lord. Or five years ago when you came to know the Lord. Faith is something that happens every day. Faith needs to be active and activated and exercised every day. Just like any other thing we do in life. We have to do it. We have to have faith. We have to believe. And this text is pointing us in the direction of the one who is utterly faithful. Who is utterly reliable. Who will never let us down. Let us move in that direction today. Let us exercise faith. I hear Jesus on the boat so often. Jesus talking to the disciples, and I hear him say, where is your faith? I don't think he's scolding them. I don't think he's belittling them. I think he's inviting them to exercise greater faith. And that's what he's doing for us today. Will you have greater faith in him today? Will you trust him more fully today? Will you walk in the newness of life? Let us pray. Loving God, we are faced with these verses and the reality that we live in. It's easy simply to say, oh, that's just theology and walk away from it because it's not, quote, practical. But yet, Lord, you have revealed to us in your word that, that this theological teaching make, should make all the difference in our life and in the world. That you take care of us every step of the way that you walk with us. Lord, I pray for the one who's struggling with faith today that you would give them the gift of faith from above. I pray for the one who's struggling in their walk today, who's thinking of wandering away, who's thinking of turning their back on you. I pray that you would draw them back into this area of the newness of life. 
I pray for the one who is struggling with sin today, who doesn't feel your forgiveness. I pray that they would know the power of your forgiveness today, to feel that load of sin being removed from their back, being removed and the paper being shredded to bits, that it is paid for. My prayer is that your children would know you today in a greater and more powerful way than ever before and cause us as a community committed to doing your work to live in this newness of life. We pray these things in your holy name. Amen. God bless you.